need a mic right now. It's recorded behind you. We're recorded behind yeah. you. Yeah. No, so I'm going to project. Do you want a mic? Are you soft welcome? He's soft welcome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just not willing. So. Well, you can give me a mic. Or Bethany. <laughs> oh, I don't care about the recording. We can ask. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Hold on a second while I get that dialed in for you, okay? Because you can come out as far as you want. Okay. Yeah, wherever you're It's awkward, but... It's a house meeting. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. Let's see. It's his funny standing room. <laughs> <laughs> we would love it. <laughs> Spitting on everybody. That's great. I just I just need a little bit. So, uh, well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here um, with Bethany and Daryl and Abraham. You call me Abraham or Abram? Both. Both. Okay. Abraham. <laughs> I like Abraham. Uh, uh, you know, I want to. I want to. encouraged me. He said, "Chris, I'd like you to start going to the J Hops and laying a foundation of something that the Lord's been uh, sharing with uh, my wife and I since 2006. We, in 2006, we moved to Moravian Falls because of a uh, a dream that Noel Alexander had, and he had a, in the dream he was saying to me, he was offering me this oil in the dream three times, and each time I said, no, thank you, I'm fine, I don't need the oil. And then the third time I actually saw the oil in the dream, he said, and then I realized my great need was to get oil. We were on our way to Williamsburg, Virginia, to um, plant a house of prayer, to start a house of prayer with about 20 young people. And so instead of doing that, we went to Moravian Falls, and it was just going to be Susan and I, and just really kind of the... Paul in Arabia type thing. We were just going to go be alone with the Lord for a few years. And then about 20 young people joined us. And we said, that's fine, but we're not, you could just have to do what we're doing if you want to come because we're not doing anything special. We're just going to sit at the Lord's feet and, and get to know Him. And during that three years, three and a half years, the Lord started opening up uh, Romans. So we really spent the whole three years in Romans and we realized we didn't understand the gospel. And, um, and so the last five or six years, the Lord has been really, uh, and He's doing, at the time in Moravian Falls, we didn't know anyone else was really speaking on these things of uh, being the righteousness of God and, and um, not having a sin nature and some of the things that the Lord was showing us. Um, we didn't, we started hearing whispers from Bill Johnson, but it was hard to identify because he was in the early stages of him, his own understanding in this message. But the Lord started really speaking to us and and I started realizing that the last couple of years particularly um, what God's doing across the nations he's taking a broad stroke now and he's just uh, releasing an understanding of the gospel of grace that hasn't been understood before now that that comes with both pros and cons because you have a young young preachers that will get up with with head understanding of what the gospel of grace is and they'll preach something that's pretty ugly right now it's um, it's not not uh, they've taken away. Uh, they say sin doesn't matter because we're under grace and so forth and so on. And then you've got really powerful, wonderful teaching as well on grace, and it's awesome. But you know, it's interesting to me. I, uh, the, uh, just being with the Lord, I'm 
realizing, you know, in the New Testament, in uh, Ephesians 4, it talks about the uh, post-ascension apostolic and apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and they're here until the maturity, you know, unity of the faith and the maturity of the fullness of Christ. We're, we have apostles and prophets in the New Testament. If you study these guys, their their function was to make sure the foundation of Christ was established wherever they went. So you have someone like Philip who's in Samaria during a great outpouring, and what are the apostles in Jerusalem? in Jerusalem say, we need to send a couple of apostles down there and find out if they're building on the foundation of Christ and Him crucified. Now what we do in America is, if we've got an evangelist in Florida with signs and wonders, we go and honor him and, and build him up to be somebody he's not, and all of a sudden the, 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 the guy falls. A very gifted, anointed man, but because it wasn't based on the foundations of Christ and Him crucified. In Antioch, when Antioch explodes, they said we'd better send Barnabas down to Antioch and make sure the found make sure the gospel of grace is there. So Barnabas goes down, and what does it say in Acts? It says he evidenced the grace of God. And uh, why did why does it say that? Because that's what he was looking for. He goes back to Paul and he says, "Paul, let's go down. I've seen the grace of God. There's building on the right foundation. Uh, the foundation. See what happens." With us too often, especially with us that are assignment-driven, uh, uh, what can happen to us is we can start building the third and fourth and fifth floor of the building. We can get our dreams that are anointed, and we can uh, get the revelation straight from the throne room. We start building the, the whatever the assignment is and going for it. And it's wonderful while it lasts, but when it's over, you have this fallout of young people, and you're like, what happened to these guys? They're not walking with the Lord anymore. It was great for a season. And uh, what we, I think what we've missed is we didn't build the foundation strong enough, and so we, we had a, a mixture of law and grace. And so what happens with that mixture is life and condemnation try to join, and they, it doesn't join. It just produces death, and they fall away. So what I really felt like I'd do tonight, I want to kind of share uh, the, what the gospel is in an overview. Of course, you can't do that in an hour, but what, I don't know, how long do we have? Do we have an hour? Or people are like, no, not an hour. <laughs> They're like, give me 15 minutes. <laughs> but um, see, I, I think... Uh, I think the issue is that what God is doing in this hour, I think he's, he's breaking every, uh, he's systematically breaking every illegitimate government in life, whether it's doctrinal, whether it's human, whether it's demonic. But he's in the business right now of rearranging and breaking, breaking those things down. And it's, it's intense, it's, hard, it's difficult, and it's, uh, it's testing relationships because, um, you know, people are saying, whose side are you on? Are you, are you believing this? Are you believing that? And I think it's a, it, just to share what Bethany, kind of go from what Bethany said, I think that capstone leadership is, is bowing its head to cornerstone leadership in the sense that it's not so much of who we're building, uh, who, who we're under, but who we're building on is really the question. If we're building on Christ, and then we're, of course we're walking relationally with Lou, and we're walking with other other uh, uh, people, but but it's not so much who we're under; it's who are we on? We're on Christ, you know. It's not so much uh, the apostles today are so much about how many churches we we have across the world. It's not about that. It's about the tr- the true apostolic riches and resources are available to everybody, to all of us. That's what the that's what God's uh, 
uh, um, wanting to, to see the, the very life of his son. In the New Testament, we've got three Old Testament, uh, Old Testament um, figures, m- men, who are more than any other, uh, anyone else in the New Testament is referred to more, more and more, most often. Obviously, that it's Jesus, of course. Okay, Old Testament, Moses and uh, Abraham. And I want to look at these three guys because if we don't understand, if we don't understand the cov- the three main covenants, there's like, I don't. You could argue there's seven or eight covenants in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I won't. I won't take the time unless you want to later. We can go through them. But there's there's three main covenants, and and we start with the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament. This is this is a massive covenant. It, it's in Genesis 12. The Lord comes to Abraham. He doesn't even know who he is. Abraham doesn't know who this God is. Abraham's a polytheist. He's he's uh, worshiping many gods at the time. God comes to him and says, "Abraham, I want to bless you and your children and your children's children." It's it's pedigree. Uh, it's all about lineage and pedigree. See, in Christ you have a covenant of position. Abraham, you have a covenant of pedigree, and Moses, you have a covenant of performance. If you do this, this will happen. If you do that, you'll be cursed, blessing or curse. But with Abraham, there's no there's no curses associated with the covenant. It's an amazing covenant. So if you look at it, you've got Abraham in in chapter 14. You have Melchizedek showing up to Abraham and saying. Uh, Abraham, by the way, do you know that that was El Elyon? That's the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's who that God was. In chapter 16, then you have Abraham saying, wow, this is the God I'm going to serve. And then you have uh, you have chapter 17, and you have, um, well, chapter 15, you have Abraham believing God and becoming righteous. Um, you have Abraham at 99 years old, and uh, God institutes circumcision with him, which that will sh- that alone shows us the the, the Bible's inspired because Abraham did Abraham did not come up with that at 99. So, hey, let's have a men's meeting. I got a great idea. That was not that was he he did not want to do that. That's definitely God inspired. But it was a prophetic uh, declaration that there'll be no flesh between us and God. There'll be no, between our intimacy, there'll be no flesh. It'll be not only prophetic, but it was practical. I think every time the the men, uh, because in the Old Testament, the men received the inheritance. And the men daily would know, I am a son of Abraham. This is who I am. I've got a sign. It says it was a sign. Circumcision was a sign. Just like the same word it was used to Noah. So the men said, you know what, I'm a child of Abraham, the blessing is on me and my children's children. Every day they would see that sign, they would know. So it's not just prophetic, but it's very uh, uh, practical in, in nature too. So you've got a very interesting journey with Abraham. You've you got to love this journey. In chapter 20, he's, he's traveling on his journey in Genesis 20, and he, uh, he stops... Uh, uh, with, uh, in Gerar, whatever it is, the king of the Philistines, Abimelech. And Abimelech sees Sarah, right? And Abraham said, this is my sister, because he was he was scared of Abimelech, thinking these guys are not serving not serving the El- Elion, they're serving other gods. So he was scared for his life, for his family's life. So he gives Sarah to Abimelech. And you know the story that... Abimelech gets a dream that night, and the Lord says, basically, you're a dead man if you touch Sarah. You know, that's, that's just a profound dream. He wakes up, and he's like, he gathers all of his leaders together and said, I just had this dream. He goes to Abraham and says, why did you tell me this was your wife? 
this was your sister, not your wife. And Abraham, you know, kind of says, well, it's kind of my sister because it had the same mother but not the same father, however it goes. But the issue was, no, I, he was scared. And so what? in the dream, God said, I will, you're a dead man and, and all of your people will be dead as well. Something like that. It's like the curse was going to go on Abimelech, these heathen people. What happens to Abraham for lying? God blesses him. It's amazing. God blesses him. It just goes on. A couple chapters later, you've got uh, his Isaac in the same place. You know, there was a famine in the land. Isaac goes down. King Abimelech again. He said, who's this pretty lady? It's Rebecca, my sister. Does the same thing his father does. And uh, and he goes in, and, and uh, he's, I guess he's looking out the window, and he sees Rebecca and Isaac doing something, and he calls up forth, and he says, that's, that's your wife. You're not treating her like a sister, that you, whether holding hands or hugging or kissing, we don't know. Whatever the case was, uh, uh, and uh, the Lord says to Abimelech again, no, Abimelech says to Isaac and said, you put a curse on all of us. You could, you could have killed us all because you lied to me. And Isaac said, I'm, I'm sorry, I was scared. So what does God do? He blesses Isaac. It's amazing. Keeps blessing. Why? Why does he bless Isaac and he's going to kill Abimelech for? You know, he's deceiving, deceiving Abimelech. Abimelech pleaded with God, said, "You know, I, the, I have the righteousness in my heart because he told me it was his sister. I believed him." God says, "I know that, but I'm still going to kill you because because you're not part of the covenant." In Deuteronomy seven says, "God says, uh, um, I'm not blessing you because of the size of your nation. I'm blessing you because of the covenant I made with Abraham." That's what he says. This is the reason I'm blessing. It's a covenant of blessing. There's amazing thing. There's no curses in the covenant. So what do you see in the Old Testament with the children of Israel? It's the most amazing story. You see them in Egypt. Now they're now they're in slavery. They're crying out. They're crying out. It doesn't even say they're crying out to God. They're just crying out. They're crying out in their suffering. God hears them and sends Moses. There was other nations crying out in, in misery, but God only heard the, the Israelites because he had a covenant with the Israelites. He heard them. He sent Moses to del- deliver them. Moses brings them to the, you know, right to the Red Sea. He's going to part the sea. You know what the children of Israel are saying right there? Right before they cross the sea, they start saying, well, did you bring us out here, God, to kill us? Is there more places to bury us than there were in Egypt? Why did you, why'd you do that? They were complaining and murmuring against God. So what does God do? He blesses them parts the Red Sea. They go across the Red Sea. They're on the other side now, and they start saying, well, God, where's the water? We're thirsty. You're murmuring and complaining. So God, what does he do? He blesses them. He gives them water out of a rock. They start saying, God, there's no food here. So he blesses them with food. He keeps blessing them and blessing them and blessing them, even in their murmuring and their complaining. It's the most amazing story. Until... Until the day comes, Exodus 17, and God says to uh, Moses, meet me on the mountain. We're going to go to Sinai. And what happened was, the people of Israel started saying, we don't believe that God's good anymore. We, we, our hearts have been, and God says, their hearts have been hardened. They, they said that, that he's not good. So God says, okay, fine, we'll change the covenant. You're saying I'm not good. You're saying you, you've hardened your hearts. So he brings Moses to the top of the mountain, and he says, okay, this is what we'll do. If you obey these laws, uh, I'll bless you, and if you break them, I'll curse you. And three times the children of Israel said, that sounds good to us. 
And that's, they're pretty, it, just a couple days earlier, God had instituted the Sabbath and said, you can, you can uh, gather manna for six days, but on the seventh, don't gather any. What do they do on the seventh day? They get nervous thinking he's not going to provide, so they're out looking for manna. What does God do? He blesses them. Now it's Sinai. Now we're going on the mountain. Everything changes at this point. And uh, so they're at, the, they're at the top of the mountain. And God says to Moses, by the way, Moses, at the bottom of the mountain, they're already building a calf, a golden calf. They had, in Joshua 24, it says they were building golden calves in Egypt. It was nothing new. They had been, they had been uh, doing it in Egypt already. And guess what? God blessed them in Egypt. And now God and Moses are angry. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill all of them. And so Moses pleads with them based on what? Based on covenant. And he says, okay, fine. I'm just going to kill 3,000. He kills 3,000 of them. God kills 3,000 of them. So let me, let me just read something to you. I, I, it'll, be, it'll be quicker and you can, you can see the power of this covenant. So here, here's just a series of, of things that happens right after Sinai. Uh, there, the glory descends on the tabernacle. They start complaining. God sends fire from heaven and, bun- and kills many of them. They're complaining a, a, about food. God uh, sends a plague. Can you see the difference? Complaining about move before in the Abrahamic covenant, God gives them food. Now they complain about food and God uh, sends a plague. Next chapter, Miriam murmurs against Moses and God spat in her face and she gets leprosy. Uh, Moses sends 12 spies into Canaan. Only two knew who they were and whose they were. And uh, basically the rest, he said, you'll die in this land. Uh, Moses uh, Next, Moses brings a, a guy that's picking up stone, uh, sticks on the Sabbath. He brings them to, to God and says, God, what should I do? And God says, kill him. Interesting. It's just next chapter. Uh, Korah incites 250 leaders to oppose Moses, and God swallows them up with. He opens the earth, swallows them up, and burns them with fire. Next chapter. Uh, the people are complaining and saying, "Moses, it's your fault that these leaders died." Moses doesn't say he's sorry, but God kills 14,700 people because they're complaining against Moses that day. And you see, it, it just you know you start. Asking the question is God schizophrenic, you know, what's going on here? It's like one day you're blessing everybody, next day you just sneeze and he's killing you. It seems like it. But see, the, it, it wasn't, it was that God was basing one covenant on pedigree. If you're, if you're born of Abraham, you're blessed. There was no curses associated. The covenant, the covenant now changes to the Mosaic covenant. And if you do anything that he says don't do, you're cursed. It's part of the covenant. The, the, the Mosaic Covenant was never to bring anybody, to, uh, never to make anybody righteous. We know that it was a tutor to bring people to Christ. It was the Mosaic Covenant was basically to bring people to an end in themselves, saying we can't do this. We we need somebody else. So we know that that salvation was always by grace through faith because of Christ. Whether you are under the law or whether you're in the New Testament or before the cross, by faith, it says Abraham was saved by faith. Uh, everybody was saved by if you're under the law you weren't saved by the law you were saved by faith that's why David could dance before the Lord's presence and not get killed because in Galatians 3 it says that the Abrahamic covenant continued even during the covenant of the law so if you chose to stay under the Abrahamic covenant you could move into relationships away from the law it's very interesting and so 
so you see people, uh, uh, different uh, different people in the Old Testament who stayed in that in the covering of the Abrahamic uh, uh, covenant. So now we come into the New Testament, and we come into the into into the, the John the Baptist. He's uh, he's the Bible says that he's the greatest uh, man, greatest prophet born of woman, greatest man born of woman, because he's ushering in. He's actually seeing Christ, the Savior. He's ushering in the the new covenant, the New Testament covenant with Christ. He's the he's the greatest of all because he's ushering in the 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 covenant that is everlasting, the New, new Testament, Christ, and uh, everything in Christ is based on position. If you're in Christ. You're blessed, and the the curses don't follow us in Christ. Uh, in Hebrews, it says the 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 law was old, weak, useless, and obsolete when Christ came. Now we're in an everlasting, eternal covenant of uh, of favor with God. Now it doesn't mean there's not reaping and sowing, and and uh, it doesn't certainly doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. Sin always matters because it always causes death and destruction in yourself and in relationships. And this is where I think that. Hold on a second. Yeah, so I, I, you know, for for instance, for me in a marriage relationship, if I am entertaining some critical thoughts, or if I've I've moved into uh, some judgments in my heart, what happens is when Susan comes home, and though I haven't said anything, I'm irritated. I'm releasing death in the house because she's she's like, Chris, what's going on? Nothing. <laughs> you know, nothing. I'm fine. You know, leave me alone. <laughs> It's like, okay, I will leave you alone because you're just releasing death. You know, I'm like, okay, it, it, sin always matters. It's like, you know, it's Romans, we, we, uh, no man lives unto himself. We've talked about that before. We have a friend in uh, Australia whose eyes were open for six months and he saw the, he saw the, um, his spirit realm. And so everyone, every, he said everyone had colors, fragrances, and, and, um, and vibrations. And so if you if you'd wrapped yourself in 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 faith, you had this blue color that wrapped yourself in. And in in, in Isaiah it talks about the garment. Uh, anyways, the the clothe yourself in the garment of praise and, and so forth. It's literally clothing. He said people that have given themselves to jealousy and competition, they had dark colors and they they had um, odors released from them. I remember John Wimber talking about this when he was. Living, he would he would look at people and say, "I know what they I know what they're doing in their life by what they're what I smell on them." <laughs> it was very interesting. But we all, my whole point is that as we clothe ourselves in Christ and we give ourselves to faith, hope, and love, you know, it's interesting to me in Thessalonica, which is the model church in the New Testament. In the first chapter, it says, um, "You know, I, I know your labor of love, I know your works of faith, and I know your perseverance of hope." And he basically says, this is an amazing church. Paul is basically saying, hey, everybody, look at this church. He goes to the Ephesian church, Jesus does it in Revelations 2, and he says, I know your works, I know your labor, and I know your perseverance. And I have this against you. You've left your first love. Same three words without faith, hope, and love. What they were doing, it was in their own strength. The, the Thessalonica church was doing it 
under the inspiration and unction of the Spirit's direction. And uh, this is the... See, what happens is when we start mixing covenants, we start mixing our performance with faith, hope, and love, and we end up with life and condemnation. Because we don't know. Now, is my relationship dependent on, on not sinning? Or is my relationship dependent on being in Christ? And God's bringing us back to a foundation that doesn't waver. Our, our, our foundation is Christ. See, it, it, there's, there's three components of the gospel. It's Christ, it, Paul said, I'm gonna, you know, to the Corinthians in chapter 3, he said, I, I've, I can only tell you Christ and Him crucified because you're babies. I can't give you the, the meat of the word. Christ and Him crucified. It would take us weeks to talk about Christ because you're talking about everything of who, who He is. He's the high priest. He's a great high priest. He's all these things. And for us to move into the, the... to get out of the shallows of our understanding of the gospel, we need to really see Christ, see who He is. We need to know what the, the crucifixion, uh, what happened on the cross. We have to know what redemption is and reconciliation and propitiation, all those things. They'll give us a foundation uh, of uh, Christ and knowing that His wrath was fully... Propitiation, His wrath was fully um, given to another. That mean that means we don't get it anymore. Isaiah fifty four says, um, "My thoughts towards you are always kind thoughts." Why? Because of Isaiah fifty three. Because of Christ, what Christ did. Now He's looking at us, no no longer under the law. When Jesus was on the cross and He said, "Tetelestai," it is finished. That's interesting, isn't it? He's on the cross. He's dying for us, and he says, it's finished. But now he still has other things to do. He still has to go and preach to the, the captives. He still is going to go sit at the Father's right hand. He still is going to do the marriage, uh, uh, marriage ceremony of a lamb with the bride of Christ. There's still things for him to do. But what was he saying when he's saying, it is finished? He was saying that the old covenant is finished. The performance is finished. The, the 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 earthquake comes the veil is rent in half there's free access now no no more based on performance it's based on a new covenant uh, and this covenant's eternal covenant and if we don't if we don't understand that what we offer to the Lord is a mixture of our own strength and uh, our own performance and we do that we can do that. Uh, even with the elections, we can do that because, and I, I understand everyone's different in their understanding of the elections and stuff. But, but we don't. We, if we decide who to vote for based on our own understanding, that's what we're doing. <laughs> you know, we've got to ask the Lord, who do you want us to vote for? And once He speaks to us, we've got to. Um, this is just an example. It could be any example, but it's so recent that. So once he speaks to us, then you take a stand in the obedience of faith. It's Romans 1 saying, you know what? This is what the Lord has spoken to me. I have to take a stand. Now the, the success is not up to me. It's up to the Lord. But, I, but there's eternal, eternal rewards. Everything that we do in the obedience of the faith is gold and silver and precious stones. It's, it's laid up for us in heaven. Everything that is done in our own strength and our own understanding is wood, hay, and stubble. It's burned up. There's nothing. It's not that you won't be saved, but it's that you you won't have anything uh, of eternal value. However, all that works, the reward system, and there there's a difference between rewards and inheritance. And when we've when we've confused the two, we've put off an inheritance, and we've put it off for the next life. 
God said, no, inheritance is when somebody dies. When Jesus dies, that's our inheritance. We need to find out what our inheritance is and not think it's uh, a reward. And that's a whole different teaching, but I just want to know there's, there's things that God has given to us at the, at the uh, crucifixion of Christ that we need to walk in today. And I think there's people like Bill Johnson who are saying yes to the healing. That was in the inheritance. You know, peace and all these things that are, that are in the inheritance, they're for us now. And if we're not living with them now, um, it's because of we've not renewed our mind. And we renew our mind. The, I think the key to the Christian life is the renewing of the mind. It's, it's, it's coming into alignment uh, with what Christ has spoken, but it's by revelation. So it can't. So the, the challenge is with um, renewing of the mind. It's not memorizing scripture. It's hearing from heaven and letting that revelation transform our mind. It comes to the heart first, and then to the head. Once, once, once you have revelation, no one will ever steal that from you. But we've got a whole generation now, not a whole generation, but an, an old generation too, but they're, what they're preaching this gospel of grace, and they're preaching it from their head with all the right words, and you're like, gosh, it sounds really good. And then you're like, but there's no, um, there's no life, because it hasn't come by revelation. It's come somebody else's book or teaching or whatever, however it's come to them. And so our, our challenge is, to sit at the Lord's feet and get the revelation that He gives us and let it transform our heart. You're gonna, we're going to renew our mind either, either by the law or by grace. And, and only one is profitable, obviously. Uh, but do you, do you see why God was angry in the Old Testament? Did that ever puzzle you? Like, why God could just kill a whole bunch of people? It's not that God changed. God didn't change. He always had righteous anger. But see, God's a God of covenant. And so when He establishes covenant, that's what He, that's how He, he governs people. Uh, and you've, you've heard people say, you know, well, grace, you know, it's just a lot. It, it, it leads to lawlessness. And that's really, uh, that's just foolish. Grace is a government. It's the Holy Spirit governing us from within. It's the indwelling Christ. We're either a slave to the law or we're a slave to Christ. You know, it's Romans. We're, it, it, we're either a master, our master's sin or our master's Christ. So grace is a government. And it's, it's a government unto holiness. It's unto not sinning. You know, anyone that says um, that that they have to sin it's just it's just foolish no you don't you can you can choose to sin but sin's not your master if you're a christian it's it's not who we are and so it's foolish it's foolish for us to talk about uh, or not to understand the fullness of the inheritance that came, that came on the cross for us um i I'll share something fun uh, it feels like it's maybe I can share anything, right? <laughs> These guys can clean it up later if they don't like it. I have a friend that's a, a very, you know, very prophetic, and he this this will be helpful too. This will be practical as well as kind of fun just to hear. But he he uh, did you hear this one? He came out of the shower. I'm just waiting. Which one? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> he came out of the shower and he said there were seven seven apostles lined up to talk to him. 
Does she hear this song? <laughs> it's a men's meeting. And uh, it was really interesting because I sat down with him and said, okay, tell me how that happened. Because, you know, for most of us, we don't always, um, the, the veil's thin in, in the spirit realm. And if we don't uh, know what our inheritance is to actually walk through that veil, we won't. It's a renewing of our mind. And so I, I asked my friend, I said, okay, well, tell me exactly how this happened. Because it sounds like you just opened your shower door and there were seven guys standing there. He said, well, it's not exactly how it happened. He said, I came out of the shower and I had a sense that the Apostle Paul was in the room. Just a sense. You know, like all of us have a sense that there's some, some heavenly being in the room. And, and he said, Chris, whenever I get that sense that some... that." That, like this one was that Paul was in the room. He goes, I just stop and I focus in. I just focus in on the Apostle Paul. He said, as he focused in, it opened up to him. The vision opened up, and there was Apostle Paul standing next to seven other apostles. I thought that's more helpful because if you share it and just open the curtain, they're all there. <laughs> it doesn't work for the rest of us. You know, we don't usually do that. <laughs> Not every day. That's every couple of weeks, you know. But um, it's interesting. This uh, something's been happening with the preaching of the gospel of grace, where the I, this is just this is my own thinking. So you can take it or not. But I believe that the apostle Paul has been given permission to go and partake of his reward of the preaching of the gospel. So he'll show up at times wherever the the real gospel is being preached. And many of my friends have seen him come into the meeting, and um, I just think it's awesome. I, I, I don't. Um, it's not like we we need it or don't. Maybe we do need it. I mean, if God if He comes, but I'm just want to encourage us. You know, let's make sure that we go for the fullness of this Christian life. is pretty phenomenal. The Bible is a series of supernatural encounters with with God and with the cloud of witnesses with the angelic realm. And if we limit ourselves, we're just going to miss a lot of activity that's happening in the, even in, our, in your midst. Uh, because once we see that, there's a profound sense of God with us in faith. Not that He's not anyway, but when you know when your eyes are opened and you start seeing the Apostle Paul in your midst, you're like, yes, you know, <laughs> we're laboring together. You know, this is awesome. You know, it's not not this distant heaven someplace else, but it's a co-laboring. I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, Paul was, uh, you know, he was so intense. He, he, in, in Galatians, he says, okay, he says, you guys started in the, in, the, in the spirit, now you've ended up in the arm of the flesh. And he says, throw Hagar and Ishmael out of the house. It wasn't an Israel-Arab thing. He wasn't dealing with that. He was saying, Lot, he was saying, throw the legalism out of the house. It cannot coexist with faith. See, in Romans, it says, Romans 4, it says, faith and, um, uh, where there is law, faith, uh, I can't get it exactly, where, where the law is, faith is null and void, basically. Where there's a mixture of law in our lives, faith is quenched. And so Paul was serious. He says, you guys, throw Hagar and Ishmael out of the house, get legalism out of the house, get control out of the house. He's, and then he sees, uh, you know, Paul sees Peter, and they're in the same town together. This is this is a big deal. Two apostles are in the same town. It's conference time. It's it's the meeting time, and uh, he he sees Peter, who's starting to go back under the law, and he rebukes him publicly. 
he wasn't even teaching something wrong, but he was modeling a behavior that was inconsistent with, an, with someone laying the apostolic gospel. And he calls him on the carpet and says, Peter, you can't go back under the law. And in Galatians, uh, it says, you know, the guys are circumcising the, 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 <coughs> the young men or whatever. And Paul says, this is a bizarre one. He says, I, I just wish the knife would slip and you'd cut the whole thing off. That's what he says. That's not even. That's not even doing a. a I mean, that's keeping the it in context. Have you read that one, Galatians <laughs> five? It's amazing. But what he's saying is, look, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna add the law to grace, you're not gonna have any life. You're not gonna have any life to give. It, you're, you're gonna cause death. And I mean, this is this is Paul the apostle dealing with legalism in the midst, and he said, this is how serious it is. I would, and uh, obviously unctioned by the Holy Spirit, you know, speaking through Paul. So I, I love the, I love the, um, this gospel of grace. It's fun. It's, and in Hebrews, it talks about, uh, Paul wrote Hebrews because he appeared to my friend and told him he did. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> yeah, he really did. We were having a discussion about it. And uh, anyways, in, in Hebrews, it talks about, um, uh, he said, I, basically similar to Corinthians 3, he says, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual men because you didn't understand, uh, uh, how's it go, the righteousness, the, um, just lost it, didn't understand the, well, anyways, he, he, he's saying you didn't understand righteousness, basically. In Scripture, there's there's only two righteousnesses in Scripture. There's not three or four. There's the free gift of righteousness, and then there's self-righteousness. And you can boast about self-righteousness if you want to. I fasted more than you all. I prayed more than you all. It gets you nowhere. I'm saying you can do it. But you can have a little bit of people like you on earth, but in heaven it's just wood, hay, and stubble. But there's a free gift of righteousness. And Paul said, because you didn't understand righteousness... I couldn't treat you as uh, spiritual men. I couldn't, I couldn't, you didn't receive the meat of the word, is what he was saying. I couldn't give you the meat of the word. And uh, what, I, what I'm realizing, I, for me, my, both my grandparents came to America from Sweden. And so we, had, we grew up in Minnesota with a very strong uh, Swedish uh, lineage line. And in our culture, and maybe like, I don't know, in different cultures here, maybe some can uh, relate to this, but like if my gram asked me for, if I wanted something to eat, I had to say it like three times, no, I didn't. Do you guys have that? No. I would say, no, I'm fine. I, I don't really need anything, Graham. And then she would say, oh, Chris, I just baked it fresh this morning. I'd say, no, that's, that's fine. Then she'd say it a third time. She says, oh, it's the best bread I've made. I said, okay, Graham. And of course, we knew we were going to eat the first time she said it. But I did had to go through this process. Because <laughs> being Swedish, that's what you do. You get, you go, you know. Back in the day when we drove to the car, uh, the gas station, that you know they used to w actually wipe your win window, and they would ask you, "Would you like your window wiped?" And I would say, "No, I'm fine." And then they'd say, "Well, there's bird droppings," and I'm saying, "No, I'm fine." He says, "Well, look at that one over there." Okay, okay, go ahead. <laughs> you know, and they do it, and you, and you knew we were going to do it the first time anyway. But my point being this. <laughs> Any other culture like that? Yeah. Well, what happened to me was I didn't. I became a very bad receiver, and so we would do. You know, if you ask my wife, we she she stopped counting when we moved twenty three times many years ago. 
She said, Chris, I just quit counting. Most of those times, unless it was in a covenant community, it was just me moving everything. All you know, and the refrigerator didn't matter because we didn't because that's who we were. We didn't ask for help because that's that's what my father modeled. It's terrible, but it's what we did. Then when I'm in Moravian Falls and I'm in Romans five, it says the gift uh, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness we reign in life. I'm thinking, wow, through the abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness, two free things, is how we reign in life. I'm thinking, no wonder I'm not reigning in life, because I'm working so hard. Now I've got to learn how to receive. And I think for most of us, the enemy comes in, and if he can prevent us from being good receivers, he prevents us from reigning in life, because they're free. Grace is free, the gift of righteousness is free, and that's why it's so important for us to sit at the Lord's feet and just receive. Because it's through those things that we reign in life. Not through my strength, not through my uh, zeal and, and hard work, but through His grace, His righteousness. And I think that's our, uh, that's our, our, uh, our challenge, is to be really good receivers. And so I've started just practically, when people ask me for, if they want to give me something, I just say yes automatically now, whether I want it or not, just because I want to start receiving. <laughs> but you know what? It's interesting. When I went to Maven Falls, do you remember the dream? Noel offered me three times for oil, and each time I said, no, I'm fine. That was cult- A lot of that was cultural for me. I was like, no, I'm fine, Lord. You know, I remember when I first got saved telling the Lord, Lord, um, I just want to work for you, but I'll enjoy you in heaven. I'll enjoy friendship in heaven. You know, just the opposite of what, of how this covenant works. Covenant of intimacy, relationship. Anything that's not birthed out of intimacy and relationship is human effort. And it goes back to Paul saying, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's worthless. It's, uh, so I, I pray that we uh, become really a people who receive uh, freely and we see the, the, the beauty of the new covenant. I've had a few dreams uh, the last few years where God's highlighting, uh, um, highlighting, circling, and underlining Isaiah 54. And it's, it continues to unfold in my life uh, how I'm understanding this, this glory of this new covenant. And, and uh, he says in Isaiah 54, as in the, I remember as in the days of Noah when I, had, when I, I made an oath with Noah. I never understood that before, but no, he, he reinstituted the Sabbath with Noah. And you know what the you know what the you know what Noah, when he offered a, a sacrifice to to the Lord when he landed, you know what the the Hebrew word is odor of rest, odor of rest. Isn't that amazing? When the odor of rest hit the nostrils of God, he said, "Ah, I love you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna destroy man again like this." Anyways, it, we could talk about the Sabbath, but it's it's a, it's it's the it's us not working but receiving, not doing it in our own strength. Anything else we should do tonight? You guys have any any questions, any thoughts? Any Apostle Paul sitting on your lap?
How do we read the Old Testament today? How do I read it? Yeah, because you talked about so much common. Yeah. Old Testament. So when you read the Old Testament, what kind of eyes do you look into that? Well, what's really helped me, and it's helped me to understand that the Old Testament, that we, we totally reject the Old Covenant, but we embrace the Old Testament. Because in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there's seven covenants. Two of them are, uh, are works and, and five are grace. So for me, I totally reject the Mosaic Covenant, but I totally embrace the Old Testament, if that, if that makes sense to you. Um, because, because the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth is when you know when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he's just revealing Christ all the way through Genesis to Malachi, and um, and so uh, I think for me what I've come to realize is that uh, they're they're irreconcilably different the covenants, and I've got to totally reject one and totally embrace the other, and in that total embrace, it's a radical repentance and. In the Greek, repentance means to change your mind. Not be, not your behavior, but your mind. If you change your mind, your behavior changes. So, I think, um, I think I've actually fallen more in love with the Old Testament. Because I'm starting to understand it. I'm starting to understand why God did the things He did in His anger. And why He never... Why, you know, I just look... This Abraham thing is just amazing to me. Because these guys... You know, just blessing, blessing, blessing. I'm thinking God is amazing, and, and so when He didn't ever, He never wanted to give us that, the law. But because of the hardness of the heart, and because they said He wasn't good, so yeah. But but also in, in answer to that question, it does see when Jesus and Adam were both born under covenants of law. And so Jesus at times was speaking, and you have to discern, is he talking about the law or is he talking about grace? You know, he, the, 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 the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to, to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, go and sell all you have. It doesn't make sense. You don't have to do anything to get eternal life. You just have to believe. But Jesus says, go and sell all that you have, knowing that's not going to give him life, but knowing he's not going to do it and it's going to drive him to Christ. So, so reading the scripture, it's like, okay, we have to understand, why did Jesus say that? Well, because he knew that the only thing that this young man would identify with was failure. And when in his failure, he had come to Christ. I believe that young man came to Christ. But he had to go through that pain first, and just that great despair. Uh, Yeah, they were able to stay under the covering of the Abrahamic. Like for, there's a couple different examples. David's is a David is a great one because he should have, um, him and his group should have been killed by when they were dancing before the Lord and before the Ark. But David had a sight of Christ. See, if you can, if God has given you eyes to see something, that's an invitation for you to enter into it. And if you can enter into it, you can have it. So Enoch in the Old Testament, um, with the sin nature, right? Because Christ hadn't died on the cross yet, he goes translated straight to heaven. That's impossible without a new without a new birth. 
Enoch had a New Testament conversion in the Old Covenant because he saw something. He saw the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And he entered into it by faith, and God took him straight to heaven. So there's people like David and Enoch, and um, one of the high priests uh, in Zechariah, he, he was before the Lord with a dirty garment on, and God didn't kill him. Should have killed him, according to Leviticus 19 or 20 or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's very interesting. But Moses is a great example. Moses is on the mountain. God's giving him the law. Moses is face to face with God, and um, why could he do? Why could he do a face to face with God when everyone else had to? You know, it was just the high priest because Moses stayed under the Abrahamic covenant. He's like, I'm not interested in this new covenant. So, God always, God always wanted people to stay under the, the Abrahamic covenant. It's a, it's a covenant that remained in Galatians. If you read chapter 3 of Galatians, you'll see it. Even during the Mosaic covenant, those that had eyes to see could stay under the Abrahamic blessing covenant. It's a pretty awesome chapter. So I think some practicals for us uh, tonight is... Do you know that God's not angry with you, even in your sin? There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Romans 8. See, somebody that understands, somebody that understands the gospel of grace, when they sin, they don't lose the presence of God. They just go back. You know, they're just with Him. And I think... If we don't understand what happened on the cross, we live in condemnation. We live in guilt and shame, and 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 we think, oh, the wrath of God's against me. No, the wrath of God's anything that was placed on Christ will never be placed on you. So find out what was placed on Christ. Now there was judgments in the Abrahamic covenant, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's interesting, you know, even in Noah, in Noah's judgment. When, uh, what's his name? Methuselah. Methuselah. Who was Methuselah's? Enoch? Whose son was Methuselah? Enoch's son, yeah. So Enoch names Methuselah Methuselah, and the name means, when, when I die, it shall come. Talking about the judgment. Methuselah lived 966 years. Talk about mercy. Mercy, mercy for generations. Mercy, patience of God. Finally, okay, guys, judgment. So, I just, I guess I share that because we see the patience of God, even in America. Patience, patience, mercy. Um, and, 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 and under the new covenant, we're under the covering of the Lord. He's not angry with us in that sense. It's a new, it's a new covenant. It's it's kind of uh, but we you know obviously we reap what we sow and um, and uh, we we've got to come to terms with what what's happening on those outside of Christ too. We, 
um, versus an empowerment, one of the things I've actually seen is although he's talking about living from the place of rest um, and even from the place of grace, it actually hasn't produced in him a lethargy spiritually. It hasn't produced a, um, I don't know if that makes sense, it hasn't, like I'll use even just praying for the nation. That place of grace and even the confidence in the covenant hasn't caused him to disengage as if somehow grace is a cover-up and there is no, he's actually the most prayerful and even the grace to fast. And um, I know even in conversations with, you know, the young adults and the population around here, it's that fear of how do you embrace true grace because there's been such a exploiting of false grace that literally what it's done is it's drawn people into spiritual lethargy. Um, You cease from prayer and fasting because it's all like under grace, under the blood, but actually the fruit of true grace is actually it produces righteousness, but not out of striving and not out of, like he's saying, self-righteousness, but um, I think just the fruit of your life um, is a testimony in and of itself of what grace has actually produced. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I think um, when I look at that question too, I say, look at Paul's life. Right. Here's a man who is given to fasting, prayers, intercession for the nations without ceasing. Here's a man who understood the gospel of grace like no other man. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He entered into it so fully. Um, but here's an interesting passage in Second Timothy 2. It says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. Here's the seal of those that understand the gospel of grace. The Lord knows those who are His. Basically, what He's saying is, I am my beloved. I am my beloved's and He is mine. There's a, this is an experiential knowing. It's an intimacy. We have intimacy with Him. And then the second part is, having, the, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And secondly, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That's the sign of people understanding the gospel of grace. There's an intimacy with Jesus, which means if I fall, my my first response is I am my beloved's and he is mine. And we just continue because I depart from iniquity. It's not who I am. If, if you know, the inner recesses of my heart are given to the Lord. So for someone to say, well, grace is just, you can live the way you want. I'm like, no, it's totally, that's totally not grace. Grace is departing from that which you're not. We're new creations in Christ, full of life, full of light, full of love. And uh, and for me, and I know for Bethany too, we, and for, for most of us, we walk with this fear of the Lord of, we want to be pleasing to the Lord. Walk worthy of the Lord. I mean, how many times in the New Testament does it say, walk worthy of the Lord? We're walking worthy of the Lord as we walk in rest. We walk in His life, His light. Because we've got a generation that are that are going to hell because there's not light. You know, we, we look at uh, Abraham's life, his wife turning back and turning to Saul, Lot's wife, Lot's wife turning to Saul. And I think she was a testimony that there wasn't enough salt in the city. And so it was like, we've, we want to be salt in this city. And, uh, and like we talked about, we, we are either going to release life and light or we're going to release darkness and death. It's our choice by, by what, we've, uh, what we've embraced and believe in. And, and the beauty of this thing is that 
you know, that it, there's an endless uh, dimension of intimacy with the Lord. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's it's um, well, sometimes I have a tendency to tell stories, but sometimes I can distract from the gospel too, you know, because you want to lay the foundation of Christ and Him crucified. But I will tell you a story anyway. <laughs> so there's this. Uh, Friend of a friend in India. Did you know this one? You probably know this one. So he's, he, there. are two two guys are sitting and they're they're and I know I know one of them, and uh, I know the other. I've met the other one, but I know one of them. And uh, they were just having coffee or tea, or whatever they do. And um, one of them got up and was going to go in the kitchen to get something. So he walked through the wall. He walked through the wall, and then he came back around through the hallway, back into the other room. And the guy I know said, oh, Vincent, he's Vincent, he just walked through the wall. <laughs> he goes, oh, so sorry, my brother. <laughs> he goes, God's been, God's been teaching me this for the end times. Or something like that. He's so sorry, I didn't know I did it in your presence. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's scriptural. You know our scripture? Jesus, Jesus, they were trying to get their hands on Jesus and he passed through them. This was not one of these dodges, you know, like we, we think he's skidding through people. No, it says he passed through them. This guy passed through the wall and he came back around the other side. I, I just think those things will obviously become more and more common. I mean, it, our, our Christian life is a spiritual life. And it's, you read the scripture and you're like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, I was talking to a friend in South Africa a couple weeks ago. We, we, I found a buddy... <laughs> I'm Skyping with him, and I asked him a question. And uh, he said, well, Chris, that question doesn't make sense to us in South Africa because the witchcraft is so prevalent prevalent here, and uh, the, the spiritual realm is so dark. And for you to even ask that question, I can tell you're from the West. I'm like, oh, wow. that's inc- I love that answer because it was like you throw out the question. I can't remember what the question was, but what it stirred in my heart was like, We've become so intellectualized that we've killed the spiritual realm. And a lot of you guys are really smart in this room, and that's the challenge is to be like Paul who excelled with with incredible insight and understanding. And yet, he you know, he had these encounters where he said, I, I've been up in the third heavens, and you guys aren't even ready to receive it, so I can't even tell you. I mean, that was Apostle Paul, the most brilliant guy, you know. So he... In Arabia for three and a half years, I think he learned. Uh, he learned with the, this indwelling Christ what was available to him. He says, you know, Galatians one. Uh, anyways, but yeah, it's good. There's, I love stories. I'm trying to think of a recent one. We were just in a meeting and um, just a couple weeks ago, and one of our. Uh, intercessory friends it was really interesting I started talking about Paul and she says Chris right before you talked to Paul he was standing next to me and I was wondering why is Paul here and then I said Paul is coming to the meeting or something like that it was like two seconds before I said it I didn't see him but she did (laughs) I want to 
I, it, and it's obviously it's all about Jesus. But but with it all being all about Jesus, we have friends that are the cloud of witnesses. It's the last chapter in Revelation. You know, John. This guy bows down to John, and and I mean, John bows down to this guy, and the guy says, "Don't bow down to me. I'm one of your pr- brothers of prophets." John thought he was an angel. So it's a it's a. I love to be stirred in the unseen realm as well and start. Uh, I like what my friend said though. He said, "Chris, when you have a sense of something, don't just say that was a that's a blessing, but." Tune into that sense and see if God will not open it up because He will. He want see God's not God's inviting us into those realms, but we have to say yes to the burning bushes and we have to turn and face them and move into them. So, Amen. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's end in prayer. Father, we we thank you for the gospel of grace, Lord. It's. Uh, we pray that we would be a people, uh, this, this J-Hop here in Boston would be a people that we would say, God, we, we are our beloveds and you are ours, God. We're, we're known intimately by you and we know you intimately and we would depart from iniquity, Lord. That would be the seal of this gospel, Lord. God, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see. We pray for revelation, God, our great need, Lord. God, that you would reveal yourself to us. Jesus, you would be our best friend in this life, Lord. We would long to be with you every day, God. We pray for hunger, Lord. God, fill us with hunger. Fill us with your love, Lord. pray for tonight, Lord. I pray that there would be encounters tonight, Lord. I pray for revelation. I pray for dreams and visions. God, we pray for an interaction with the, the cloud of witnesses in the angelic realm. We pray that Christ would be honored in all things, Lord. Thank you for the help you've given us, Lord. pray that the manifest presence and glory of Jesus would be so strong in this midst, God, that the the city couldn't stand not to be near it, Lord. God, manifest Christ, Lord. Manifest light and life and love, Lord. We're amazed, Jesus, at you, that people actually loved you. They liked you and they don't like us, God. We say, God, we want it. We want to be loved and liked. Not by the religious, God, but by the hurting, Father ones who need a Savior, God. Say, God, all the promises are yes and amen over Jehob, Lord, over Bethany and Daryl's life and over everyone's life in here. God, we say, let every promise, every prophetic word, every dream, let it come to pass quickly, Lord. God, we pray for release of the finances, Lord. That's our inheritance, God.
break condemnation and shame. Say, not on, not on this watch, Lord. Not in this house, God. Oh, God. 